Hi, thanks for dialing us up, as they used to say. This is, uh, we're going to talk some men's basketball, Iowa in specific. Nathan Ford's with me from the Gazette. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen a basketball game with the Hawkeyes. We're recording this on Wednesday. The next game is Friday at Illinois. I'm going to try and make it there. Uh the game's old hat, Nathan. It's almost, I mean, it's almost a week now. Uh, and there really wasn't that much analysis required about that loss to Indiana at Carver. They just, they shot badly. I mean, if they shoot decently and they come out of the gates shooting well, it's a whole different game, obviously. But after a lot of good shooting games, they just didn't have it. Yeah, I, I don't think it's too much cheaper than that. I, I mean, I saw a lot of pundits saying, Indiana just showed the blueprint to beat Iowa, but that blueprint was basically Iowa missing a lot, missing everything <laughs> for an 11 minute stretch. And obviously some of that credit does go to Indiana. They had a good defensive game plan against Garza, especially um, throwing double teams at him. But the fact is Bohannon went what? Oh, for eight mm-hmm. Frederick missed most of the game and wasn't himself when he was in there. Those are two Iowa's best two shooters uh, and along with Wieskamp too. But I just don't think it goes too much beyond Iowa couldn't make a shot. Now that is really surprising for the number one ranked offense in the country to be shut down for that long. And it was pretty shocking to witness. Mm -hmm. But until that becomes a pattern, until we see, unless that happens again, I wouldn't be too concerned if I was an Iowa fan. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, they had shot at least 53% their previous three games, which is (laughs) – you'll take that every day of your life, you know. Uh, In the five-game winning streak, they didn't have a bad shooting game. And so they go 38% against the Hoosiers. They they were like just barely over 20% from three-point range. That's not going to happen very often. You know, the two games it's happened when they shot that badly were Gonzaga and Indiana, and you saw what happened. And they kept up with Gonzaga, well, not entirely, but but they scored 88 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, this game was just an aberration. And I think we talked about it last week is at some point you're going to have a clunker. Everybody yeah. does. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, Gonzaga and Baylor haven't. Well, if Gonzaga and Baylor played Iowa schedule, yeah, they would. Yeah, and I – that's what, you know, people were getting, I think, overly concerned after they – not everybody, but some people were getting overly concerned after that, that game last week that maybe Iowa isn't what it what its ranking showed or isn't a, a true contender nationally. But, I mean, you just look at the landscape of college basketball last week. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, people were thinking about throwing Tennessee into that elite tier nationally. They got blown out by Florida. They followed that up with – a loss to double digit loss to Missouri. So uh, unless there's going to be, unless Iowa goes out and does this again and has another clunker two or three in a row, I just don't think that's something to be too concerned about considering only the very elite of the elite can avoid stuff like that. And I understand that there's some frustration there too, because people want to see if you're an Iowa fan, obviously you want to, to gather as much evidence as possible that you believe Iowa is in that tier with Gonzaga with Baylor, Mm -hmm. but it's okay to admit that maybe they're not like 
the number one ranked team in the country. They're just a really, really good team. And right. Most well, college lost, I mean, they've lost three times. And, yeah. um, and that's going to happen with most college basketball teams. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll talk more about Illinois in a bit, but Illinois has lost five games. Do you think that Illinois can't win the national title? I right. think they can. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't bet on it, but it's certainly in the, within the realm of possibility. What I, something that comes back when, when Iowa does lose, it always seems like it's guards that kill them. Mm-hmm. And that sort, I think that was the, besides the shooting, Indiana's guards played a great game. Rob Finnessy in particular. He scores 18. All right, that's not an overwhelming number. He makes four threes. Those were career highs for him. Uh, and that's something in common with, with Iowa losses is guards beat them. I mean, against Gonzaga, Jalen Suggs, you said, well, okay, that's Jalen Suggs. You know, but Some say he could be the number one pick in the draft next year. But he made seven three-pointers. Had 27 points. Uh, Suggs has made eight other three-pointers all season. So that that's kind of, I mean, that's just, it's weird uh, more than anything. Uh, Marcus Carr in the game on Christmas scores 30. Well, Marcus Carr scored 30 before. Mm-hmm. He's a great player. He's going to be first team all Big Ten. Uh, terrific player. But he made six threes against Iowa that night. He's never made six threes against anybody any time in his career. Brendan Johnson of Minnesota makes eight threes in that game. He's only made three other three-pointers the entire season. So they they still have these moments where other players go nuts on them, and they don't seem to to catch up with that moment. And that's what's got to kind of scare you when you're looking at the long picture, the big picture. What happens when you play these elite guards and they're going to play one Friday night? Yeah, I start to, I just wonder if opposing guards are watching film and just being like, yes, yes, this is going to be my my time on, but, or they get into a game and are just like confronted with open space, plenty of space to shoot and are just, it's not something they're used to and they're able to knock down more shots. I don't know. But I think we're I think we're probably past the point where we think that, you know, coming into the season, we knew Iowa was going to have an elite offense. And some of the conversation centered on, well, if they could just get their defense to be decent, just mm-hmm. not bad, then they can be they, they can reach all of their goals. And I think we, we might be past the point where that can be possible. I mean, this is just what this team is. I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's all on Fran McCaffrey. I think part of it is just their Iowa's personnel is just suited to be an offensive minded team. But I think it's, you, you might just have to admit that Iowa is going to give up points and the way it's going to beat teams is by having the very best offense in the country against Indiana that didn't come through. And that might have to be the case against some of these elite teams like Illinois on Friday. And something I don't want to overlook is Iowa did play pretty good defense in that five-game winning streak. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the shooting percentages between Iowa and its opponents were – there was a a big gap there. Mm -hmm. Well, 
when Iowa scores points, it's got better defense. That's just, you know, basketball 101. And uh, without making shots, uh, you don't set, settle into any kind of a defense. So, I don't know. I mean, uh, if the offense is, is, is back to a normal level, uh, maybe we won't be having this conversation. And, and something else to remember is Marcus Carr came to Iowa City a few weeks later, had 13 points. Yep. So, uh, I mean, it's, it hasn't been an every-game thing. In that five-game winning streak, no, no individual player on another team was killing the Hawkeyes. It looked like Bubui and Northwestern was on his way. But then, I mean, he made four in a row from deep in the first half, and you said, oh, here's another one. And Bowie's been known to do that. But uh, that spigot closed up in the second half, and Iowa blew him out of their own gym. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point on the offense, you know, leading it to defense too, because you can't set up your defense. And Iowa likes to go to sort of that trap look, especially when Patrick McCaffrey is in there. Just, just kind of throw a wrench into things, slow things down a little bit, make teams think a little bit more. And it's also – it's also just frustrating. It's tougher to guard. It's easier to guard when you're making shots and are happy with the way things are going and it brings your energy and effort level up. But when you get into such a rut like Iowa did against Indiana, it's, it's, it just gets frustrating and, and tough to, tough to, to give a hundred percent effort on defense. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder if we should start, you know, going into the, into every game, just like giving a candidate for who's going to be the guy that's going to all of a sudden go off. I mean, Illinois, I look at, like, we know Desumu is, is obviously capable of, capable of that, but, you know, they also have a freshman, Adam Miller, who's shooting 36.9% from three overall, but against top 50 teams, he's only shooting 24.1%. So maybe this is his uh, – Iowa is his top 50 team to go off against. I don't know, but I think overall, as long as the offense is there – that's going to be most times enough for Iowa. Well, let's talk Illinois. Like I said, we're recording this on Wednesday. The game's Friday night. Uh, I thought Iowa's the most interesting part of the last season was when Iowa played at Illinois in the last, what turned out to be the last game. They were playing for the double bye in the Big Ten tournament. The winner got fourth place in the seeding, the loser fifth. It meant the loser had to play on Thursday. The winner skated through to Friday, and it was a great game. I mean, uh, this final was 78-76 Illinois, and we remember that Kofi Coburn blocked Garza's last-second shot in the paint. That was the end of it. But Iowa, like, jumped off to a great start. Illinois caught them. It's a tight game at halftime, and then Illinois just – was up and running in the second half, led by as much as 16. They were up 15 with seven minutes left. And Iowa dug in, pulled, you know, got close to within two. Dasunmu misses a bonus. Iowa gets uh, goes to the other end. McCa- Connor McCaffrey misses a shot. Rebounds, I think, went out of bounds. Iowa's got the ball with 1.6 seconds left, and the game was on the line. They couldn't get it done. The place goes berserk. It was a wild night there the whole night. Everybody was charged up. The players were charged up. There were four technical fouls, all on players. Uh, 
I'll give you an indication of, uh, I'm going to read this, what uh, Illinois players said after the game. This was the soon room. Uh, it's just, we don't like each other. Simple as that. They want to kill us. We want to kill them. Okay, that's pretty harsh rhetoric, but <laughs> <laughs> they're college kids. Yeah. He said, uh, there's no sweetie or nothing like that. And I don't know what that means. But... <laughs> But, but uh, the players all agreed that this was a rivalry, and that's what we wanted. Well, they were set. They were lined up to play again in Indianapolis five days later, assuming Iowa would have beaten Minnesota on Thursday. And then you go from the, the most intense scene of the season to the most deflating thing that's, you know, happened mm -hmm. uh, that I've ever known cover, uh, in the last 20 years covering Iowa basketball, which was – the plug getting pulled. So here we are now, and you had an off-season of wondering in Iowa, was Garza going to come back? At Illinois, was Dasunmu going to come back? Coburn, you know, went into the NBA draft, but it was just sort of a formality that he was going to come back. Dasunmu thought he was going to go. And I think Garza at one point thought he was going. Mm-hmm. But they both spend the summer talking to NBA people and you can't, there's no combine, you can't really do anything. And I don't think they either one made any headway and necessarily either one was going to get drafted. So around the 1st of August, they both said, we're back. And it's like all of a sudden Iowa and Illinois are preseason top five teams. And they're everybody's one and two pick in the Big Ten, not necessarily in that order. In fact, in a media poll that uh, Columbus Dispatch does every year, Illinois got 16 first place votes, Iowa got six. And here we are. This is a game that we've been waiting for for like 11 months. And uh, how do you see it? Well, first of all, how do you only schedule Iowa and Illinois once? I want to know what's going on in the Big Ten. I mean, there's a conversation to be had about the the, the 14 team conference or whatever, but come on, we, yeah. everybody's looking forward to Iowa and Illinois. It was some of the best games of the of the season last year, and they get they have one game on the schedule. But anyway, yeah, it is the game everybody's been looking forward to. It the Friday night window has kind of turned into like this prime time game for the big 10 there's iowa had some big games on on friday last year and now we get this big rivalry so i think that's kind of interesting too but like you said it's been really heated with these two teams over the over the last few years i remember the game at carver i think it was last year when when Wieskamp dunked at the end with like only a few seconds left and iowa had it under control and Illinois coaching staff was mad and then so Fran was defending his guys in the, in the handshake line I always love a good handshake controversy that was that was kind of fun but I miss kind of, those yeah <laughs> oh gosh everything COVID has taken away from us that. but yeah it it's been it's been I'm fun I mean that's what you want to see is that clearly these guys care about this game in particular and I remember uh, Connor McCaffrey was up in, the, I think it was DeMonte Williams' face last year yeah. during a game against Illinois and multiple technical fouls. But it's not only that. It's not only that they don't like each other. It's that they're both really high 
good high level basketball teams, excellent offense, good shooting. And it's just, it's all of those factors combined makes it so entertaining when these two teams meet. And I know, you know, back in the eighties, this was a big rivalry as well, kind of before my time, but I'm even set, even saying that I'm excited that like a border rivalry like this means so much. And the, and the same with, with Iowa and Wisconsin. So hopefully, hopefully the, uh, the teams haven't forgot the, what, what went down last year. And it's, we get that same level oh, of intensity. They, they know. They, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it is good. It's, it's a, it's a better thing for us when Iowa and Illinois are both competitive. It's, I think it's a better thing for the big 10. Uh, it wasn't that long ago, Illinois was stale and Brad Underwood has brought them back. Uh, it helped to pull Desunmu out of Chicago. Uh, he was no sleeper. Everybody knew that this was a real catch. Uh, but Illinois got the elements that spell trouble for Iowa, in my opinion. Yeah. The, they have two things. They've got the gray guard, and they've got a really good big man. And Kofi Coburn is having – is I don't know if it's quietly, but he has really emerged – uh, the team uh, has has been sort of uh, an enigma. They were five and three, and, and Brad Underwood was frustrated. Uh, they lost at home to Maryland and Ohio State, and after the Ohio State game, Underwood flat out said how frustrated he was. He says it's a lack of emotional, non-competitive starts. Uh, we've got to get this figured out, he said. We're one of the best teams in the country when we play well. We've got to put five guys on the floor who will be competitive and not ride emotional waves of, of good and bad, but just play. And uh, you, you haven't heard anything like that from Iowa this year because they haven't had emotional waves. But yet then you see how Illinois came out against Penn State in the game after that at home, and they sort of had their act together. And then you know that they've got these two great college players in Desunmu and Coburn, and it's like they're a team to be feared, in my opinion. Uh, they're ranked 19th. Well, they're way better than the 19th best team in the country when they're right. right. And you know that they're not going to come out flat against Iowa. Uh, Coburn wants in the NBA too, and how he stacks up against Garza helps define that. This is a dude with six straight double-doubles, points and rebounds. Uh, his field goal percentage is off the charts good. I believe he's like 35 of 42 in his last five or six games. And uh, he played Garza to a standstill pretty much last year. Garza got his points, but Coburn did what they wanted Coburn to do. And he gets that one stop at the end that we remember. So I think Iowa's got to be great in this game to win it. And I'm picking Illinois to win by five points. How about yourself? Yeah. I mean, Illinois has been kind of an interesting team. They, they're, they're clearly really talented, but yeah, they have just been missing something in some of these games. And I thought it was a little interesting that um, Underwood made those comments and then switched the starting lineup against Penn state and put Jacob Grandison in instead of DeMonte Williams. And Williams is really a, a deadly shooter, but he's also been a, a senior leader for them. And so to just 
take him out of the starting five probably wasn't a, a small thing, even though statistically it doesn't look like a, a big change. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and then he's also been playing Coleman Hawkins, a, a 6'10 freshman, a little bit more. So that, that'll be interesting to see him have to go against uh, Garza at times, possibly when, if Coburn needs to sit or has foul trouble or anything like that. But yeah, I think I lean a little bit toward toward Illinois in this game too. Um, obviously, it's not the same, quite the same home court advantage as it would have been with with the packed house there. But I think, you know, just the way that I think that they can swarm Garza sort of similarly to how Indiana did with a lot of fast guards, but still a big guy that can defend in the posts. I know Coburn struggles in certain situations, but he's still an imposing threat down there on the, when you're, when, um, when he's just guarding one-on-one against a, a post. So I think I lean a little bit more toward Illinois. One thing that I think will be interesting for Iowa. I, I don't know if I'm overplaying this at all, but I think Frederick missing him really makes a, a quite a big difference when, in the way that Iowa can space the floor. He's obviously one of, if not the best shooters on the team. And just having that extra space that another team, you know, another defender has to think about if they're going to double Garza or Mm -hmm. give help. I think that makes a big difference. I don't know what his situation is, but I remember last year he was, he got hurt in the Penn state game, missed a few games. And it just, it's not, it's not obviously as big as losing some other players might be, but I think he really just, creates that spacing on the floor that is really key to, to what Iowa does. No, I think you're entirely right. He's a, to me, he's a critical piece of the puzzle. He's a sound defensive player. And uh, they just – there will be halves when he only shoots the ball a couple of times, but his plus-minus will be high. Mm-hmm. Be, just his presence – the, just that you know you, you've got a guy who's a 50% three-point shooter and you've got to be aware of him just makes that much of a difference on offense and then he will have those halves where he gets 10 or 12 points mm-hmm. and really brings something uh, to the scoreboard and uh, w- without him uh, you're just not as good it's going to be interesting to me to see with the schedule ahead the compressed schedule how he gets through this. And like you said, we don't know the extent of his injury or if the week off between games and it's no problem. And you typically, typically don't get straight info on that. Uh, uh, We're recording this before Fran McCaffrey has a zoom call with the media on Wednesday afternoon. Maybe he'll have something enlightening on that subject. And you can go to the Gazette's website late Wednesday afternoon and beyond find that out if it's the case I'm sure it'll be the first question asked but uh you I mean you do you need all hands on deck and as deep as Iowa is there are pieces that you've got to have and that includes Jordan Bohannon sticking a few threes Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I mean just like I said they just any any extra player that a defender has to think twice about helping off of it's going to make a big difference because Iowa does have guards where players don't think twice about helping off of, I mean, Connor McCaffrey is certainly capable of, of hitting outside shots, but defenders are more willing to lean off of him. Same with Joe Toussaint. Um, I think 
probably when Perkins was getting some playing time against Indiana too, they were a little more willing to leave him some space outside. So just having those, those shooters. And obviously even if Bohannon went over eight in the last game, they're, they're still going to be all over him. Illinois is still going to be all over him, obviously. Mm-hmm. So ha- having just that one extra shooter can make a big difference and we'll see what that, what that's like on Friday. It, Bohannon hasn't played against Illinois since uh, two seasons ago, but historically he's had good games against mm-hmm. them. It's uh, and they both play the style of ball that I think the other prefers playing. Yeah. So what it makes is for, as what you said, Friday night entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like this too. It's like uh, I, it's almost like a, a football game week. You know, Iowa hasn't played in a week. It's you get that sort of that anticipation that you don't always get mm-hmm. during basketball season. And obviously next week we're going to get about about the exact opposite of that. But yeah, it's kind of kind of fun leading into this, just getting a whole week to prepare for that. This is a game that. If you're a college basketball fan in Oregon or Virginia, you're going to want to watch. You can't say that about all Big Ten games just because, you know, I mean, look, not everybody grabs you or not every game is significant. But I think if if you're watching this from Oregon or Virginia and you watch the first five minutes of it, I think you get sucked in. Yeah. Well, and, you know, like you said, not every – every game grabs you can look at the top 25 scoreboard and see who's playing who. And usually a ranked matchup is going to stick out, but maybe not if it's just like Minnesota against Rutgers, you know, that might not grab a lot of casual fan college basketball fans attention. When you see Illinois, that's a name college basketball people know and recognize as a, as a, as a contender, even though they did have some, some, a tough stretch recently. You see Illinois hosting a number seven ranked Iowa team that does grab your attention. And like you said, you watch a few minutes of it. You're going to be hooked because it's just, it's going to be up and down good offense and really a lot of intensity too on both sides. These are money games for the stars. I mean, Garza and Colburn, they know Uh, if one of the two gets the better of the other, uh, you get a, a nice uh, gold star next to your name. Mm-hmm. It means something. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to get 30 points against player X, Y, or Z, but, but if you can take Coburn to school or just get the better of him, that registers, that resonates, and vice versa with Coburn. If Coburn can neutralize Garza, people are going to take Coburn a lot more seriously, I think. I think we saw that against Indiana too with Jackson Davis. Uh, Garza came out just really active on defense, um, trying to show, trying to show that he he can help slow down uh, a, an elite player on that end. And Jackson Davis, every time that he was able to go one on one against Garza, he had that that uh, hesitation move for a dunk. That you could tell how much that meant to to him and to his team to be able to go one-on-one and you know guards the strength is offense but just to be able to go against him go head-to-head with who everybody's saying is the best player in the country that's going to be the same thing with Coburn is it's going to be back and forth and both those guys want to prove that that they can they can score at will against Mm -hmm. another elite player in the Big Ten and the words you just used best player in the country 
if Garza is the best player in the country and Brad Underwood this week said he is in no uncertain terms, mm-hmm. if you're the best player in the country, a Friday night's a time to prove it. You know, if you carry your team to a road win against a team like that, against a, a player like Coburn, I think you, you're eliminating a lot of doubt in, uh, in people's minds around the nation. Yeah, definitely. I think people around the country were kind of interested in how Garza was going to perform against really good teams. I mean, people were definitely tuning in to see how he did against North Carolina, to see how he did against Gonzaga. And this is going to be a similar situation for him. And I don't think that college basketball is, is similar to college football and having that sort of Heisman moment. You know, I don't, I don't think necessarily one game is going to turn voters or stick in people's heads, but it can definitely go a long way. And if you, like you said, if you lead your team to a road win against a ranked team, a fellow big 10 favorite, that's a big deal. And I think we've seen Garza be locked in in every single game that he's played mm-hmm. this year. And but it was interesting to me the what he was talking about after the Indiana game, and maybe it shouldn't have been because it's just sort of his the way he is at this point is he doesn't settle for anything and he's constantly wanting to get better, and that's clearly how he's become the best player in the country. But he was really upset after that after that Indiana game, and you know was promising to to be better. And, uh, you know, that's clearly what you want to see, but he wasn't just dismissing that it, this as uh, we didn't shoot. Well, we'll come back. We'll, we'll be fine. We're come back next time. And he was adamant that, they, that he needs to be better personally as the, as the best player in the country. And that's what you want to see. And I, I think he'll probably come out motivated on Friday. That's a pretty safe bet. Yeah. Yes. I was on that zoom after the game and sometimes players say that I don't want to use uh, it's not false humility but it's they, they take on more blame than than they f- really think they deserve yeah. to just look like I'm putting this on me and I'm a great team player mm-hmm. but with him it's it's for real he he was uh, as close to sullen as I've ever seen him. He's, he's one of these guys who shows up after games, win or lose and talks, but after losses, it's almost like a therapy session for him to talk to reporters because he goes on and on and on. And the more he talks, the more it seems to gnaw at him mm. that they lost and why they lost. And uh, you can, you can just, you can almost hear. They're not really hidden messages toward his teammates, but it's like, I'm uh, unhappy about this and uh, read between the lines. You better be too. And I don't think there's a great fear of that on that team. Right. But it's like, let's have no doubt about this. This can't continue. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't why I came back here to get embarrassed. So uh, they've had a lot of time to stew and the big man's had you will have had eight days to stew about it, and I don't think that's a great thing for Illinois. No. You've got to wonder what those Iowa practices have been like the last few days. I mean, you, you always hear it like at the start of the season where guys are saying, well, you know, yeah, clearly we came out really, 
really intense because we're just sick of going against each other and we're just so excited to play somebody else. And it was really tough preseason practice, just going back and forth. And now they've had a week to, to practice and sit on a loss, which was different than, you know, coming into, into the Indiana game where they were sort of riding high and mm-hmm. felt like everything was going their way. And now it's the exact opposite where they've, they were clearly unhappy with how they played in, in multiple facets of the game. And they have a week to prepare for what was already being circled as one of their biggest games of the season. So, yeah, I think those practices would have been really interesting, really fun to watch uh, from a neutral observer. And Joe Wieskamp, after that Indiana game, said, yeah, maybe there's been a lot of talk about us, a lot of hype, et cetera, with the implication, and it wasn't really even an implication, that we got to stop listening to that stuff. But this is also a team that swims in that stuff. They embrace hype. They, they put hype on top of themselves. It's just the nature of the personality of the team, the players, and its coach. They welcome the rankings. They welcome the expectations. And when you do that and you fall short, you know, you, you have to admit that maybe we were uh, – paying a little too much attention to that stuff. And that's sort of what Wieskamp did. Uh, The trick is now uh, to regain that hype. And here's where we go into what's what's ahead for this team. This isn't just a a one-game pinnacle deal, this Illinois thing. This is the start of a seven-game stretch that is, oh, my gosh. Uh, Because last night, the Big Ten rearranged the schedule and put Michigan State in Carver next Tuesday night. Here's what you've got. You've got Friday against Illinois, next Tuesday at home against Michigan State, next Thursday at home against Ohio State, good team, Mm -hmm. at Indiana, Rutgers at home, and I haven't given up on Rutgers. They had a real bad patch. That's a talented team. And then back-to-back road games, Michigan State and Wisconsin. That's seven games. Uh, that's something, man. You know. Yeah. And if you lose, if you lose Friday, you're on a two-game losing streak. When here come Michigan State and Ohio State, hungry, talented, uh, unintimidated. Yeah, and is that Michigan State? Michigan State does have a couple couple games before that, but yeah, they're going to be coming off of a COVID pause where they're going to want to hit the ground running. Ohio state just went into Wisconsin and I mean, was in control for most of that game. That's clearly a, a, a really good team that has no fear coming into Iowa and playing that game. And it's, it's a, it's not only a dynamic where you're playing a lot of good teams in a row, which is kind of scary enough, but you're playing um in a row with, not much time off in between. I mean, they've got three games next week and like one day off in between one and two days off in between the next one. Like I've said before, it's not, you don't necessarily worry about like legs getting tired or anything with the, the ages of these players, but that's going to be a lot. It's a, the intensity of those games that, like we were talking about, we're going to see on Friday is going to be a lot in a, in a short stretch and, and something that doesn't usually happen this time of year. That's more of a tournament setting that happens 
once or twice a year. And so not, not in big 10 play where you're going on the road and coming back home. And that's going to be a, a stretch that is different than what we've seen before. And the big 10 schedule, like every schedule in sports more or less right now is weird because you got Michigan sitting atop the Big Ten, the only team ahead of Iowa at 8-1. and one. And all of a sudden here last week, they get the plug pulled. Two weeks because of COVID issues at the University of Michigan. No games. Uh, the, so it's like, what does this mean for Michigan? Is Michigan going to have a 20-game conference schedule? When are they going to make up four games? Uh, you talk about a compressed schedule for Iowa, what's Michigan's schedule going to look like? How is this going to work out? Nobody has any answers right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Iowa still has a home game with Nebraska to fit in someplace. And that's one you don't want to lose because you'll beat Nebraska by probably 76 points if you want to, you know, (laughs) Uh, and, and that's, it's a team that other Big Ten leaders have played, so you gotta you you want that game just to make yeah. up for the fact other teams have played Nebraska. So there's it's all this murkiness that we've we've uh, not experienced ever before, and who's to say there won't be more? Right. I mean, at this point, you you've got to think that other teams are gonna enter into into similar situations like we talked about last week Iowa a lot of their players already had it last summer so weirdly that's kind of a good thing for them but you're they're gonna probably like just in just encountering other other teams with that go on these pauses is gonna affect you and pretty soon it's gonna be pretty much the entire Big Ten that's gonna be dealing with this one or one way or the other because of the way they have to shuffle schedules around I mean, Penn State, I think, just played four games over over seven days, and they're not going to be the only ones that are that are in a situation like that. And it, it could get interesting when it comes down to it when you talk about Michigan having to make up all these games and Iowa is now making up a couple couple games. And when you look at th- those Big Ten standings, and like we talked about last week, it's really important that you get everybody on a level playing field, but there are going to be teams that are in a normal, if you would see the schedule in a normal year and you would say you could have a right to complain about having that many games in a week. And it wasn't fair to have us travel and only get a day off. But in a situation like this, you just have to be grateful for getting these games in. And that's Mm -hmm. how they're going to have to look at it. Except there won't be gratitude if, you finish in second place because you played 20 games and the champion played 18. Yeah, that would be a, that would be a different situation for sure. Now, I, I think that the Big Ten will, will bend over backwards to see that the teams at the top have all played mm-hmm. the same number of games and had the same number of home games. It doesn't necessarily mean the Big Ten control, can control that 100%. But I got. I have to think the effort will be there because you just you want your champion to be deemed legitimate after you know three months of playing all these games. You don't want any uh, people putting their own asterisks on things. Mm-hmm. You don't want people forever saying, "But if we had played 
just one more game that we were supposed to play or they didn't have to play this game against so-and-so, you know, um, you, you, you want the thing to feel as legit as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you wonder along those lines, if they're going to get creative, how creative they're going to have to get to try to get these teams to 20 games. I mean, let's say Michigan is still needs to make up a game and we're coming up against the end of the season. Do they say, I mean, the Big Ten tournament, I think, starts on on a Wednesday of that week. They say Michigan needs to make up a game against like an – I haven't seen their – I can't remember which games they have to make up, but let's say they're playing Indiana or something. This is the Big Ten say, just come in on Tuesday and we'll just make up this game here in Indianapolis and you'll still get your day or two off before the Big Ten tournament. I mean, mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see how creative they have to get because they're going to run out of time. I mean, that they're still planning on playing the NCAA tournament the same week uh, as they normally would um, other than, I mean, moving it like a day or two back. So they're, they're, they're gonna, they might have to come up with some different situations than just squeezing these games in where they can. Yeah. And some have said, well, why not just bag the big 10 tournament? And I don't see that happening. No. Uh, they, the, they want those weekend games on CBS. They want the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on big 10 network. Uh, I, I, I could be wrong, but I can't imagine that happening. Yeah. And it's the big 10 regular season title means something too. It's not like, it's not like you can just say, Oh, we'll just play the tournament. And the winner of that is our, is our conference champion. Like I think the ACC, technically the, the ACC tournament champion gets to claim that they're the ACC champion, but in the big 10, especially now when you're playing 20 games and, that, that means something still. And they're not just going to, I don't think they're just going to set that aside so that they can get in their tournament games, mm-hmm. but it'll be, it'll be tough. It'll be interesting to see how they do it. Well, one more thing I wanted to mention uh, before we end this is Drake. Yes. Holy mackerel. Uh, now Drake plays tonight again, as we record this at Missouri state, Last night, Drake's down 15 points at halftime. Drake hasn't played in over three weeks because of their own COVID issues. They're down 41 to 26 at the half at Missouri State, which is one of the better teams in the Missouri Valley Conference. Drake holds Missouri State to 20 points in the second half, wins the game going away in the final minute. They're 14 and 0. They are, who are these guys? I, I don't know, yeah. uh, but, but whoever they are, they must be pretty good. Garrett Sertz, the pride of pride of Newton, Iowa, <laughs> little hot guy conference. Uh, I, I, I'm willing to admit I, I was a Drake hater at the start of, at the start of all this. I mean, I think it was just the, the, uh, the people that were like, no team in college basketball has won 12 games and not lost zero. And it's like, well, how many teams have played 12 games? <laughs> and Drake right. hasn't, Drake hasn't played anybody good. I mean, even Kansas State was pretty bad for a Big 12 team. But they, it, is a, it is a fun team to watch. I, I have been watching the, their games. I watched the Missouri State game last night. And at halftime, I was like, all right, well, that fun's over. They, they, Missouri State's, like, ranked the highest on Ken Palm of any team that they've played, and they're only, like, 121. But, I mean, watching the way that Drake came back, 
and the defense that they played. I was kind of, I kind of had it in my mind that Drake was just kind of a good three point shooting team, just a, a pretty good offensive team in general, good rebounding team. But the way they shut Missouri state down in the second half was exciting. And it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a continuation of what we saw in the, the Valley tournament when they beat Northern Iowa at the end of last year and Northern Iowa came in as the one seed and, now Drake's riding high and the battle between uh, them and Missouri state and Loyola for the, for the Valley title is going to be really fun to watch too. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, if, if you're watching this on Wednesday, listening to this on Wednesday, you're like us, you don't know what's going to happen tonight, <laughs> but it's going to be interesting to me to see uh, does Missouri state bounce back after sort of getting gutted like that last night. <sighs> does Drake take what it did in the second half and just continue that tonight if they get out of Missouri State with back-to-back wins, I think you're finally going to see national writers picking up on it and yeah. a top 25 spot. That's yeah. I think the 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 AP voters don't want to include a team that that schedule is the way that Drake's is at this moment. And you know Loyola will be a, a good team for them to play in, in the future. But there's not a lot of teams that would be 14 and 0 in this no. situation. It's still tough to do. And oh those yeah. Back- those back-to-back games are interesting too. And we were talking about, we're talking about the big 10 schedule, but the way the Valley is playing those Friday and Saturday, it's different now because of the COVID situations, but the way they're playing back-to-back nights against the same team and just the the scouting principles that go into that is so different than a normal college basketball year. It's, it's kind of interesting to watch. And I think you can, I, I can knock Drake's schedule all I want, but I have to admit that it's really impressive what they're doing. Well, if you would have taken $20 on Drake against the spread in the first game and rolled it over, uh, you'd be, you could probably retire today. <laughs> They're 12-0 and 0 against the spread. In, in games where, where there were point spreads, they've covered every single time. That doesn't happen. I don't care how good you are to beat the number 12 times in a row. Ay ay ay! You don't need you don't need mega millions. All you need to do is bet yes, on Drake. You need mega bulldogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm you know we're supposed to be objective, but I don't cover Drake. Uh, our paths won't cross this year probably unless I see him at the NCAA tournament. I'm all for him. You know, yeah. go thirty and zero, set the world yeah. on its ear. Let's see what happens. And the great thing about this is that they get to. They get to be in the tournament. We don't have a Coastal Carolina situation here. We get we're, if Drake right. if they go undefeated, they're gonna play in the tournament against the big boys, and it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun to watch. I, I still remember their their Valley title. I don't remember how long ago it was. Now I got I guess twelve or thirteen years with Adam Emenecker and Keno Davis, and just how fun that team was, and how exciting it was to see them go against. Valley teams every night trying to win, rack up a long win streak. And they had a disappointing exit in the NCAA tournament as a five seed. But I think this team is going to come into the NCAAs, no matter what their record is, as sort of an underdog in that, probably in that double digit seed area. Maybe they, if, if they keep winning, they'll, they'll be better than that. But it is going to be fun to watch for the, for the whole state of Iowa. It's a team that people can get behind and, yeah, hopefully, hopefully they keep it rolling. 
Well, if we're still talking, we still mention Drake the next time we do this. That means good things have happened over there. Mm-hmm. But we'll keep talking about Iowa no matter what happens. And there will be a lot to talk about next time with Illinois behind us and a slew of interesting games, you know, immediately ahead. Yeah, we're going to have to get creative with the on Iowa pod scheduling too over the over the next week with all these games. So Yeah, let's not wait for the Big Ten to dictate that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks to everybody for for uh listening and watching and uh until next time